Now, as you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Dustin. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know. And I'm excited to open up God's word today. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. For the most part, we'll mention Acts 11 here as well. Um, but this is one of my favorite passages in, in Scripture. Um, it, it's an important passage for us here today because it really has led to where we are at. Um, this is the first, the story of the first really Gentile convert. And so uh, it's really the story of the church beginning to accept Gentile believers into the church, which probably covers most of us in this room here today. Um, but, but also, I, I just love it because there's, there's a lot of challenge in here. And it's a story I'm very familiar with. Uh, and, and yet, as I have been looking through the book of Acts and, and many stories that I'm familiar with, I'm seeing some new and some different things. And I'm focusing on some different pieces of the story as we have been reading this together and studying this together. And one of the things that I'm learning as I'm reading through the book of Acts, I'm learning about myself, is that I might not be perfect. Mm. I know that is shocking for many of you to hear. Uh, you might not be perfect as well. I know that's a hard truth to accept. But one of the, the reasons that I'm seeing that is I'm looking in Scripture, and, and this is a perfect moment where I'm looking and seeing so many people in Scripture that you would think they, they're the ones who should get it. They're the ones who should have everything right. They, they, they know the Word. They've been with Jesus. They're filled with the Spirit. Like surely they're going to get this right. And yet so often they mess things up. And really, Acts 10 is an example of the believer uh, who is acting poorly in many ways. And, and then a non-believer, someone on the outside, that is acting the way that God would desire. And so there's this reminder to us to check our hearts and realize that just because we've been in church for 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years doesn't mean that we are suddenly perfect um, and that we are, are, are suddenly God's gift to humanity or we have done something to earn our place with God, but it's all a free gift of God's grace towards us. The reality, though, is that when we look at the book of Acts and we look at so much of Scripture, like there's so much there that really should challenge us on a daily basis. I mean, just last week, I was listening to the message. I actually uh, was on vacation. I got to listen online. So shout out to all of our online friends. Um, just want to say that I'm so grateful to those who stand behind the cameras, who do the sound uh, here in person, but also who do the live stream sound. We are so thankful for you that you create the opportunity for us uh, for when we can't be here present, that we can still be a part of the body. And so thank you to those who, who do that and participate in that, that ministry. Um, but, but with that, I was listening, and Dustin was talking about forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of those things in church where it's like, yep, we get it, forgiveness, that's a big part of the church life. Like, yes, we like forgiveness, we like being forgiven, um, and we know that we are supposed to forgive. And, and yet it's something that's much easier said than done. 
And when we start talking about radical forgiveness, like Dustin talked about last week, this forgiveness that Jesus offered to us, and this idea that we are to forgive like Jesus forgave us, that's a challenging thing to do. But Dustin reminded us last week that forgiven people need to be forgiving people. And because we are forgiven by God, we need to forgive others because the offense that anyone has against us, no matter how strong it might be, is not as strong as the offense that we have against a holy, powerful God. And I wanna add to that today because our mission statement says at Christ Community Church says that we exist to make fully committed followers of Jesus Christ through love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And so we talked about radical forgiveness last week. I wanna talk about radical acceptance this week. And I wanna kind of carry on the idea that, that, that Dustin mentioned last week. And I'll say this, that accepted people need to be accepting people. Accepted people need to be accepting people. For those of us in this room or online who, who would call ourselves followers of Christ, we have been accepted into the family of God. We have been accepted by God, even though we did not deserve it. And so because of that, we need to be accepting of others. So let me pause here and make sure we have a definition of acceptance and I'll, I'll define it by saying what it is not. Now, the easy thing that probably everyone understands is acceptance is not condemnation, right? It comes to the other side of condemnation. So we are not a people who are quick to condemn, quick to cancel, quick to write people off, quick to push people away. We are not a people who look at the way people behave and say, well, you're just not good enough. You can't have a relationship with me. You can't be part of the church. You can't have a relationship with Jesus. No, we are not people who condemn, we accept. But on the other side, there is an extreme that we can go to on the other side. And this is important to mention that acceptance is not approval. It's not approval. It doesn't mean that we celebrate everything that everyone does. It doesn't mean that we celebrate sin or we ignore sin. No, we have a standard. The word of God is truth. It is God's truth to us, his words to us. And we are gonna hold on to that with a closed fist. We are not going to waver from the word of God. We're gonna be truthful to this in our own life. And we're gonna speak this truth to everyone we come in contact with. However, we, again, don't fall on the other side where we're not condemning. So we're not approving, but we're not condemning. We are accepting. We are welcoming people where they're at. And really what we're doing is we're, we're making sure the order is correct. We're allowing people to belong while they figure out what it means to believe. And then trusting that for those who believe that the word of God, the spirit of God, the community of God is going to work together to transform behavior of God's people. So we're not expecting people to behave a certain way before they walk through the doors. We're not expecting people to look a certain way or act a certain way or think a certain way before they walk through those doors or before they walk through the doors of our houses and into our lives. No, we allow people to belong while they figure out what it means to believe. And then in belief, there's gonna be work that's going to affect and transform behavior. And that behavioral change is something that's gonna constantly be worked on. And again, it's a reminder that none of us are perfect. That no matter how long you've been in church, no matter how many Bible studies you've gone to, no matter how many tithe checks you've written, you are not a perfect person. There's still sanctification that needs to take place. And this is what we're gonna see with Peter in Acts chapter 10. And so I want us to be reminded of how God accepts us, but also his vision of his people accepting others that really should have been clear from the very beginning. 
So if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see that God creates Adam and Eve, and he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so he gave them this cultural mandate that said, basically, hey, you are drawn towards me. You're going to build a family where you're pointing your family to me. And then you're going to raise them up, disciple them, and then send them out so that they go around the world proclaiming God's image to the entire world. They're going to be God's image bearers all around the world. That was the plan. And then they messed it up. And then, you know, their family messed it up. And Things kind of spiraled out of control. And then Noah comes along. God chooses Noah. And he basically gives him, after he saved Noah, he gives him the same cultural mandate. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then Noah messes it up. And his family messes it up. And, and things spiral out of control again. And then we get to Genesis chapter 12. And we meet a man named Abram. And God says, Abram, I'm going to choose you to continue my plan for redemption. It's going to come through you. Not just to you, but through you. This is actually what God said to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1, it said, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And listen to this last verse. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth are going to be blessed through this one man. So God calling Abraham was not just to bless him, but it was to bless him to be a blessing. It was a gathering towards him and then a scattering of sending him out to be a blessing and a light to the nations. That all peoples would be blessed through Abraham. And so in the short term, that meant that his family line would be the family that God gave special revelation to. But even within that, they were always supposed to be pointing others to Christ. If you look at Exodus and you look at Levitical law and you look at different things, like God always had a plan for the outsider to be welcomed in to the family of God. The long-term plan was that the nations would be blessed through the person of Jesus who would come through the family, family line of Abraham. And so through this line, we would receive the Savior whose grace is sufficient to cover many and all tribes, tongues, and nations. And so any who would put their trust in Christ, regardless of where they came from, regardless of their past or their history, like anyone who puts their trust in Christ will be saved. And that way, Abraham and his family was a blessing to the nations. But again, the plan was always to be inclusive. The plan was for the family to be a light, to live differently from everyone else so that they could show people who God was and draw people towards him. As a matter of fact, let's just look at some of the scriptures that, because that, I want to focus on Peter and what he should have known. And so here's some of the scriptures. Let's, we can go to the Old Testament. We can go to Isaiah 49, verse 6. God says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So long before Jesus came, there was a plan for those on the outside to be welcomed inside. In Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. So God was making it clear from the beginning. These are just a couple verses that we can pick out of many in the Old Testament where God is saying, hey, the plan is to be inclusive. The plan is to welcome the outsider in. The plan is for you who are called to me to be a light to those on the outside. And Jesus reiterated this in Matthew 24, verse 14. He says this, he says, in this gospel of the kingdom, will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. 
In Matthew 28, he gives the great commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, our theme verse for the book of Acts, it says this, Jesus tells his apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to, and everyone read this with me, the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus called his apostles to. These are Old Testament scriptures that Peter would have known. These are words from Jesus that were spoken directly to Peter. He heard this from the mouth of Jesus. And I'm telling you this because in a moment we're going to see that he still doesn't get it. But I want us to see what what things are going to look like even long term. And these are words that Peter may not have heard himself. But this is given to John and given to us in the book of Revelation in chapter 7 verse 9. It says this, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And so when we stand in eternity and we look around, all these things that seem to divide us here, all these things that we use to put up barriers between us and others will seem like foolishness when we look around and see every tribe, tongue, and nation represented in the kingdom of God, brought together as one family, as one body of Christ. This is God's plan from the beginning, was for God's people who are accepted by God to go and be accepting of others and demonstrate his love, his acceptance, and his forgiveness so that others can see that and be welcomed into the family of God as well. That we are the hands and feet of Christ. And so when we accept others, we are demonstrating Christ's forgiveness to others. This was the plan, and this is what Peter missed. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So this is a, a Gentile. He is not a Jewish man. As a matter of fact, he works for the Roman military. He's a centurion, works for the Roman military, who is occupying Israel. He is occupying Israel, right? The, the Rome is occupying Israel, and so they really are, are, are the bad guys in this sense. They are people that, that Israel would not be super fond of. And yet, here he is honoring God. And it's an example to us that sometimes God uses the outsider and shows that the outsider is doing the right thing, and the insider, the one who should get it, is doing the wrong thing. And this is going to be when we contrast Peter's heart in this story. We're going to see that Peter is, is off from God's plan. And it's a reminder to us that no matter how long we've been in church, we are not perfect. There still is work to be done. But also, no matter how long we go to church, no matter how many tithe checks we write, no matter how, how great our church attendance is, how many Bible studies we've been to, we cannot earn anything from God. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his, his acceptance. We don't deserve his forgiveness. And yet in his grace and his mercy, he gives it to us anyways. And so we need to constantly be reminded that while, yes, we have this amazing blessing, it is not meant for us to prop ourselves up, but meant for us to share and be a light to others. 
And so the centurion, the Gentile, is seen doing the right thing, doing some things that are God-honoring. God is already working in his heart and stirring something up. And it says this, says, One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, the angel... The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and then sent them to Joppa. So in this moment, Cornelius hears from the word of God. He responds to the word of God. He moves in faith. He doesn't see how this thing is going to end. He's not exactly sure where it's going or, or what the purpose of this is. But God has spoken, and so he is going to follow. And we see him moving in faith in a similar way to mention Abraham earlier, to the way Abraham moved in faith. In Genesis, God said, told Abraham, he said, hey, you're going to leave your family. You're going to leave your friends. You're going to leave your, your, your nation. You're going to go to a place where I will show you. And Abraham stepped out in faith, trusting that God would lead the way. And this is what Cornelius is doing here. He is stepping out of faith. The, the scripture wants to make it clear. Luke wants to make it clear to us that Cornelius' conversion is similar, is equal to anyone else's conversion. That the Gentile is really welcomed in and has been accepted by God. And so we shift our focus to Peter in verse 9. It says, about noon the following day. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So here we see Peter doing something good. We see him spending time in prayer. This is a good habit to be in. And then we're going to see that there are some things that he does wrong. So he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he left, uh, it, he, he, ugh, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And so what's happening here really quickly is that, um, one, Peter is distracted. He's distracted by his hunger. And so really he's, he's allowing his body to control his, his feelings in this moment. He's supposed to be in prayer, but instead he's allowing his hunger to drive him. Anyone ever been distracted during a time of prayer? Been distracted by, by tiredness? Been distracted by hunger, right? And so in this moment of, of weakness... God is going to use Peter's weakness for his glory. He's going to use his weakness in this distraction to teach him an important lesson. And so he has this, this vision. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And so now in this moment, Peter is being tested by God. And, and he thinks he understands the test. And he thinks he's about to ace the test. And really, he is going to fail it miserably. He says, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And, and so Peter responds. He says, God, I, I'm not going to do that. I know your word. And in the Mosaic law, these animals were considered impure, unclean. Like there were laws that said they weren't supposed to eat these things. And Peter's saying, God, look at me. I've always been obedient to your law. I, I don't eat the things I'm not supposed to eat. I do the things I'm supposed to do. If this were us, it would be like God coming and saying, hey, don't go to church on a Sunday, which I don't think he would say. But, you know, the, the point is, is we would say, no, listen, God, I follow the rules. 
I go to church every week. I'm in multiple Bible studies. God, I write my tithe check every week. God, I say nice things to people. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't do any of these really bad things. God, I'm a good person. Look, I'm passing the test. And for Peter, God is saying, yeah, but your heart's still far from, from my heart. You're not living out what I've called you to do, what I directly told you to do. And it actually says that the voice spoke to him a second time, said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. It tells us this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. There's something about Peter and three times. He denied Christ three times. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? Here he is three times where he sees this vision. Peter just needs a few extra times sometimes. So while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now remember that God is the one who is saying, I have sent these men to you. This is God's plan that's being enacted. This is not the plan of man. This is the plan of God. And God is making it very clear to Simon that what he wants him to do, that he wants him to go, that he wants him to go and be a light. Now, by the way, this should have been very clear before, but God in his grace is giving Peter another opportunity. He's giving him another example to get it, to understand it. He's saying, I know that I, I told you directly that you need to go be a light to all nations, that you need to reach the Gentiles. You haven't quite figured it out yet, so I'm gonna make it really, 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 really clear and obvious for you, Peter. This is an example of God's grace towards Peter and God's grace towards us, that even when we don't get it, even in our failures, God takes us and he keeps moving us down that path that leads to life and saying, yes, I can still use you. I can use your weakness because it's my strength in you that matters anyways. And so here's this moment where, where, where Peter is told, you need to go with these men. And so he does, and he arrives at Cornelius' house. And this is what it tells us. So the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. All right, this is a good moment from Peter. Verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? This is a weak moment for Peter. It's a moment of failure. It's a moment, I think, if we are honest, that many of us have experienced. First of all, even though God told Peter that he was the one doing the sending, Peter asked them, why did you send me here? But what happens is Peter walks into this room of people who don't look like Christians. They haven't acted necessarily like Christians, although we know that they actually have. He looks at this room of people who their behavior's not right, their dress is not right, they, they, they don't sound right, they don't look the right way. And he says, what am I doing here? 
And really when he stepped through that door, he should have stepped through that door willing to accept these people the way God had accepted him. But he stepped through that door and said, I don't belong here. And what he's really saying is I'm too good to be here. See, I'm one who knows God. I'm one who's done the right thing. I'm one of those who's been blessed to know God for a long time. I'm, I'm one of God's chosen. I shouldn't be with, with you here, you outsiders. And what's crazy is he quotes this law, and this is not Mosaic law. This is not God's law. This is the law of man. This is Jewish tradition. They said Gentiles are unworthy of our time. They're unclean, and therefore we can't even step foot in their door. And so Peter is walking in because God has called him to walk through the door, but he's walking in feeling dirty, feeling unclean, feeling like you're not worthy of my time. And, and I want you to imagine how it must have felt to be Cornelius and his friends and his family there in that moment. They had gathered together to hear from God. God had sent them to bring this man to them. They thought he's going to tell us about who Christ is. He's going to tell us what God desires from us. And he walks in and he says, you're not worthy of having me in your house. This is not acceptance. This is condemnation. Peter, who was told that he would be a light, a witness to the ends of the earth, who was told to make disciples of all nations, just cannot get past that, that, that cultural voice in his heart. That says, I don't belong here. They're not welcome. They're not good enough. And it's the separation of him thinking, I'm good enough and they're not. And so Cornelius, who imagine had to feel deflated in this moment, shares with Peter about the vision that he received. And all of a sudden, Peter gets it. All of a sudden, he connects the dots. And in verse 34, it says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And so this is where Peter finally gets it. It finally clicks. And this is his conversion moment. See, we talk about uh, here at Christ Community, we talk about the road to spiritual maturity. And we don't want to just make new converts. We don't want to just make new believers. We want to keep moving people to be fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And so every time you take a step down the road to spiritual maturity, a miracle has happened. And God has moved in our hearts, and he wants to keep moving in our hearts in that way. And so over on the, the left-hand side there, you'll see the not interested. Those are those who don't want to be here. They have no interest in it, as it says. Uh, they're not going to walk through the doors unless they're dragged, kicking, and screaming. And if that's you, praise God, we're grateful that you're here. Although you're probably not listening to me anyways. You're probably playing on your phone. So, you know, whatever. We're still grateful that you're here. But when you move from not interested to an explorer, that is a miracle that happens. You start asking questions, being willing to engage in the conversation, a miracle has happened. When you, like Cornelius in this moment, is about to experience, when you move from explorer to new believer, you, you reach that point of justification where you've put your trust in Jesus Christ and your eternity is set in heaven. That is a miracle that has happened. But God doesn't want to leave us there. Yes, he accepts us there, but he wants to continue to move us down the road of spiritual maturity. And so we go from new believer to growing Christian. The difference there is that growing Christians are not just being fed, but they're learning to feed themselves. They're building spiritual habits of things like serving and giving and, and spending time in the word, having a quiet time with God, being in prayer. They're having fellowship because they're learning to feed themselves. 
And then from growing Christians to fully committed followers, you'll see that dashed line right there. That represents a question that on every part of the left-hand side we ask, which is, what's in it for me? But a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ stops asking the question, what's in it for me? And says, how can I live fully for God? How can I live fully to, to love others as God has loved me? And so Peter was really in that growing Christian space. And you can move back and forth between some at different times. But he was in that growing Christian because he was still asking, what's in it for me? Why did I come here? Why did I walk through these doors? What's in it for me? Do you know what my friends are going to say? Do you know what my church is going to say? Actually, in Acts chapter 11, we see that the church leaders call Peter to, to, to account for what he did because they're upset that a Gentile was welcomed into the family. And so Peter has to stand before them and basically say, it wasn't my plan, it was God's plan. And eventually they're like, okay, we get it, we understand. And they begin to celebrate that. But they need that moment of conversion too. And so God is gracious and merciful as he moves us from not interested to explorers to new believers to growing Christians all the way to fully committed followers. But all of us need to keep moving down that path and keep finding ways to be transformed by the spirit of God so we stop asking what's in it for me and we just say, God, I'm your servant. Do with me as you would. I'm here to serve you and to love those you put in front of me no matter what they look like, sound like, act like, how they behave, what they believe currently. God, I'm gonna welcome them and show them that they belong while they figure out what it means to believe. And I'm gonna speak truth to them. I'm not gonna hide it, but I'm gonna trust your word and your spirit in addition to the community of God to transform their behavior. And so when we get this right and we learn to accept people the way Jesus accepted them, then verses 44 through 48, which we started with, is what happens. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, the speaking in tongues here, really quickly, this is uh, a descriptive, it's not prescriptive, meaning it's just telling of what happened in this moment. Not every Christian will speak in tongues the moment they're converted. But God wanted to demonstrate to these believers that these Gentiles were in the family of God, that the Spirit had come on these Gentiles in the same way that it had come on the apostles, that the same ability to speak in tongues that was led by the Holy Spirit is now given to these Gentiles. And so they knew without a shadow of a doubt that these were now brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why Peter said in verse 47, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And so Peter has his conversion moment. He experiences God's grace. He experiences God's acceptance where he's at. God doesn't approve of the behavior, but he leads him into something better he still allows him to participate in what he's doing. And because of that, this Gentile believer and his family were able to hear the word of God, receive the word of God, and put their salvation and their trust in Jesus Christ. And now they have eternity in heaven to look forward to as well. And so this is why we need to accept like God has accepted us. Why we as accepted people need to be accepting people. And so if you are in here and you have never experience the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you that God has a plan for you, that he has a purpose for you, that he loves you. 
And you might be sitting there and thinking, listen, I have too much sin in my life. I have too much brokenness in my life. There's no way that God could possibly love me. There's no way that he could accept me. And yet all throughout scripture, God says, my grace is sufficient for you to cover everything from the smallest to the greatest of sin, from the least to the greatest of sinners. If God can accept those of us in this room who have put our trust in Christ, he can accept anyone. Don't be fooled by that. Don't be fooled into thinking that these are a bunch of good people and that's why God accepted them. No, we are sinners saved by grace. And so because of that, if we are in that accepted people, we know that we are accepted. How can we be accepting? Three things I'll I'll give you. Number one is this. We need to build good spiritual habits. Talked about these earlier, things like prayer, quiet time with God, uh, serving, giving, fellowship, because these connect our hearts to God. It helps us to lift him up and keep our eyes focused on him. Remembering that he is glorious, that he is mighty, that he is the one in charge. And so then when we do that, the second part is true as well, is that we need to be honest about who we are. And so if we build good spiritual habits that keep us connected to God, then we can be honest about who we are that says God is big and mighty and powerful. We are not. We don't deserve this. We haven't earned this. We are just recipients of God's grace, of his love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And so when we understand those two things, who God is and who we are in his sight, then we can learn the third part, which is that we need to accept others the way God has accepted us. So when we realize that we didn't deserve it, but God accepted us and has offered us something better than what we had in the past, then we look around and say, well, there's, if God can accept me, there's no one that I shouldn't be accepting in the name of Christ. I can allow people to belong while they figure out what it means to believe and know the behavior is coming down the road. Know that that takes more time for that transformation. And so we as accepted people need to be accepting people. You know, as we uh, kind of wrap up this, this section in the book of Acts, what a perfect time to gather together and to receive communion. Because communion is a reminder that God accepted us, that he did the work of forgiving us, of demonstrating love to us. That because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And Jesus stepped down from eternity, lived a perfect life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice dying a painful and brutal death on a cross, shedding his blood for us so that we could have life through him. And so when we receive communion, we are really proclaiming that truth. Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, he took the the bread and he said, he gave thanks and said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant, the promise that I've made to you, that when you put your trust in me, you have life life eternally, and life to the full. And so we come to receive, to remember the gift that he has given to us, but we also come to receive so that we can be filled up to live on mission for Christ. See, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we take communion, when we receive communion, when we take the bread and the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until the day he comes. And so really this is a proclamation of our trust in Christ and us saying we are gonna go and live on mission because we're coming to be filled up so that we can live the life that God has for us, the mission that God has for us, to be a light, to demonstrate his love, acceptance, and forgiveness.
And so because it is a proclamation, communion is a time for believers to be filled up by the Spirit of God, to be spiritually filled up. We're not going to be physically filled up by the bread and the cup, but we will be spiritually filled up by Christ's presence with us in this moment. And it is a time where we are making that proclamation. And so if you are in here and you are an explorer, you're not interested, we are so grateful that you are here. Communion is not a time for you. It is a time for those who believe to be filled up and to proclaim their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ. And so uh, just on a practical note, as you come to receive communion, we will have um, uh, uh, leaders who will be having the, the elements at each of the aisles. And so if you exit on your left-hand side and then re-enter the row on your right-hand side, it just helps keep the flow of traffic moving so we're not, you know, spilling cups and bread all over the place. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we can come and receive communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word that speaks truth to us. God, we thank you for your love, acceptance, and forgiveness of us. God, while we are still sinners, you died for us. We didn't earn it. We can't, we can't deserve it. We can't repay it. But you freely gave us that grace anyways. You accepted us so that we could accept you. And so, God, I pray that we as accepted people would be accepting people that we would recognize who you are, who we are in response to you. We would recognize your acceptance of us and we would demonstrate that to others. And God, in doing so, would you open the hearts of those around us so that they would know your love, acceptance, and forgiveness and come to a saving faith in you as well. Father, we love you and I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.